Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. I am thrilled to be here this afternoon with uh, two women. Of course, we have the wonderful Dr. Beth Dupree, who is joining us uh, by phone from Holy Redeemer Hospital. Good afternoon, Beth. Are you there? Hey, I'm here, Susan. Can you hear me? Terrific. Yeah. Awesome. Great. And I also am being joined in the studio by Alice Bast. Alice is the president and CEO of the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness. And she's doing some incredible work and, and has been for, for many years now um, to bring awareness and also to support research and uh, future developments in the in the area of celiac and, and what it is and um, helping people really find the resources that they need to deal with it. Uh, Beth, I wanted to bring you right in to introduce you to Alice and say hello. And, and I know you two will have some things in common to talk about uh, when it comes to celiac and some of the integrative um, methods that maybe are being used in our helping patients. Oh, absolutely. And Alice, I wish I was there in person to meet you, but uh, I just got out of the operating room about an hour ago, so I couldn't have gotten there safely. And uh, my patients needed my full attention today, as always. So uh, I'm sitting here comfortably by myself, wishing I was there with you guys in the new studio. So Well, well, we'll get you here soon. I know, I know. And that reminds me, June 29th, we uh, switch our time, correct? Correct, yes. 3 o'clock? 3 o'clock we'll be airing uh, beginning Monday, June 29th, and, and we'll be promoting that continuously so the listeners remember our time change. Awesome. Alice, I was uh, I was reading your story, and uh, your story is not one that is um, that uh, foreign to many people that I see who for years have um, issues and concerns with their health, and nobody seems to give them answers. And I'm not sure if Susan shared with you, but in addition to me being a breast cancer surgeon, I'm also board certified in integrative medicine. And so many things that we see in um, the world of the disease processes begin with the GI tract. So I know we're going to hear all about your story, and um, I love the fact that you became such a uh, advocate and voice um, for others so that they'll be aware as, as well. Well, thank you, Beth. It's wonderful to meet you. Um, Beth, I wanted to talk also about, um, and I don't know whether this has anything to do with uh, the work that Alice does or not, but you and I actually spent some time over the weekend, and we talked about the fact that you are a beekeeper. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I don't know if, if the benefits of beekeeping and, and the whole, you know, the honey and all the good stuff that goes on there, whether that is something that is used within the area of celiac or not. Well, actually, the, the beekeeping, I know I posted the pictures on Facebook. Everybody was laughing because they're looking at me. And I uh, I, I want to meet your neighbor, be, be the doc, uh, Mr. Yep. Bob the Bee Man. Right. Um, <laughs> Su- Susan apparently lives next to, like, one of the world's experts in beekeeping, and she's been holding this uh, as a secret <laughs> as, as I'm struggling with my bees. But uh, they're, they're actually doing quite well. I started beekeeping years ago after we interviewed um, the state's apiarist on a show that I was on years ago called The Medical View. 
And the beekeeping's been fun. It's you know I'm a I'm a backyard beekeeper, so it's a hobby. But um, the the actual honey is amazing because what a lot of people don't realize is that the bees usually fly within a you know a small radius of you know miles um, around where they have their hives, so that the honey um, carries with it the opportunity to potentially help individuals with severe allergies to decrease. Um, the severity of the allergies because the bee uh, the bees use the pollen from the local area and that comes back and gets incorporated into the to the honey so that um, there's a an immunity that can come from that and uh, it wasn't working well for my 18 year old son yesterday who literally I think he sneezed so hard he popped a rib the poor kid was oh, in geez. so much he was in so much pain and, and I'm having him take some ginger and suck down some honey from last year hoping that it's going to be effective and uh, Meanwhile, the, uh, the the bee pollen and the bee honey um, does have many, many medicinal effects. Um, I don't know that it's ever been shown to um, be effective in celiac because celiac is really a, an allergy or a, a sensitivity to gluten. It's an autoimmune process. And um, believe it or not, more people are far more sensitive to gluten than actually realize it. Um, one of my friend's husbands recently found out that he was sensitive, and since he changed his diet, it's really changed his whole life because he's no longer, um, you know, having to know where every bathroom is around the corner because of the effect of eating, you know, eating the gluten in his diet. So I think that this is going to be a great show because, first of all, Alice's story is amazing. Yeah. But kind of getting the word out and people who are having issues with their GI tract that they're not getting the answers. It's very easy to simply remove gluten. It's not easy to remove gluten from your diet, but it's a simple way to test your your GI tract by basically going gluten-free and seeing if um, some of the symptoms that you are having dissipate. So, um, Alice, again, uh, welcome to the show, and uh, maybe someday I'll get to meet you in person since you're actually local. Yeah, well, I look forward to meeting you. We do have something in common because my husband's a beekeeper as well. I love it. How, how successful is he? Because I, this is like my eighth year, and uh, the the bees do not, the ones that I've been getting, I, I have a really tough time getting through the winter that they make it, but the hive isn't strong enough to get through that last part of February and March. Well, he's had mixed success. Um, he has bees at his parents' house, and they've been, actually, they did make it through the winter. Or the bees at our house did not. But he's persistent, and um, our daughter, who's in med- medical school right now, we actually gave her all the honey. We figured that she needed as much good honey as she oh, possibly yeah. could <laughs> as she's in her, her final year of medical school to keep her, her strong. And she, you know, I would love for her to meet you because having a, a physician that not only um, is a surgeon but understand integrative and, and complementary medicine and functional medicine is, is fantastic, that you well, understand how important it is to... To, to live well. Well, I, I would love to meet her. Where is she in medical school? Uh, University of Pennsylvania. Oh, perfect that she's close by. We can make this happen. I, uh, I, I, I'm actually going tonight to speak to, um, I think it's 30 pre-med students uh, that are rotating at St. Mary Medical Center. They do a summer um, program for the pre-med students, and um, I have always been asked to be the first speaker because I have a positive attitude. I think that's why they invite me first, because they're afraid some of the doctors that don't like their profession might give them the wrong idea, and then they'll be out of the program. But uh, I think mentoring, and Susan and I talked about this over and over again, that mentoring our young 
future physicians and healthcare practitioners is so important because healthcare is absolutely changing and we need people in the system who are passionate and uh, truly, truly love um, what they're doing. And I can only imagine that your daughter already knows way more than the average bear in her class because of your journey. Yeah, she was part of that journey. You're very astute in rec- that, <laughs> recognizing that. I, when um, I was going from doctor to doctor for my to getting my diagnosis, she spent a lot of time going from doctor to doctor with me. Yeah. How how young were you when you started to identify the fact that something was amiss with your GI tract? It was not until I was 26 years old. So, you know, with celiac disease, what you have the genetic predisposition, as you were saying. So it's, um, you know, it's an autoimmune disease. Um, 30 to 40 percent of the population has that gene, but then there's some kind of environmental trigger. So there's something that happens in your life. So you, whether it's pregnancy or you get a parasite, you get Lyme's disease, you're treated with, you know, they don't really know what that is to cause, right. um, to really trigger the active celiac disease. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a uh, I don't want to say it's nebulous, but, you know, we know that we you can have the genetic um, predisposition to something and never express it. So you, it's in your genotype, but you don't phenotypically express it, which means that your body hasn't kicked it on. And, you know, what we're seeing more and more is how the environment is affecting our genetic um, expression. And I think with celiac, it probably has to do with so many of the processed foods and the, you know, the gluten being so prevalent as a as a binding agent in so many things and it may just be that you know that potential volume of it or it could be you know something virally that then clicks that that piece but uh, most of the people that I know that once they actually get diagnosed and they change their diet it, it changes everything for them completely yeah it's it's incredible I'm when uh, we just held uh, earlier this spring, a research summit, and we brought in some of the top um, autoimmune specialists, you know, in, in an interdisciplinary approach to look at, you know, celiac disease and understand the gaps, because it's actually been published in Scientific American that celiac disease might be the disease that unlocks all of autoimmunity, because as you were saying, it's they know we know the antigen, so with yep. other autoimmune diseases like MS or lupus. Um, you don't have as much information. And with celiac disease, we're looking at um, a, a prevalence that's on the rise. So there's an increase in the number of people who actually have celiac disease, and not only that there's more awareness of the disease, but um, it's it's also the fact that, you know, what in the environment is triggering it? So what takes you from being tolerant to being intolerant and really being able to work with um you know, in a multidisciplinary way where MS researchers are working with celiac researchers to better understand the immune system and understanding some of these triggers and increase of all of autoimmune diseases across the board. I I think it's very fortuitous that you majored in biology at the University of Pennsylvania because it gave you that, uh, the building blocks to be able to understand on a molecular level what you know what's happening in your body to give you that to give you that background because had you been a finance major you may not have had the uh, you know the wherewithal to figure it out yourself but uh, it's um, it, you've just had an amazing journey and I, I love and I know when you when you meet a woman or anybody in life who takes what others would call you know this adverse event or this 
um, dis-ease and have turned it around to do the amazing work that you're doing in celiac education, um, it's, it's awe-inspiring because you really were able to take something so challenging that, you know, I can't imagine going to doctors um, with concerns or symptoms and not getting an answer. I mean, that, that's the most frustrating thing in healthcare is having symptoms and not being able to get an answer. You're so right, um, and Beth, that's that's what we're, we hear from patients all the time. It's actually the average person with undiagnosed celiac disease. It does take them uh, 10 years to get diagnosed. And so for my journey, it took me eight long years to, to get diagnosed. And I went from doctor to doctor to doctor. And whatever the symptom was, that's what I was told was wrong with me. So I had migraine headaches. Oh. And I was given Imitrex, you know, saying, okay, oh. this will take care of your, your migraine headaches. So, what, again, whatever the symptom was, you know, I got treated by some kind, whether it was a pharmaceutical treatment or, um, or you know, just told when I was pregnant to, you know, to, that I needed uh, bed rest. Yeah. Um, and my story is not un- untypical. You know, I saw 23 doctors in all. Well, Susan, you don't know this yet about me, but this whole concept of integrative care, you're just learning it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the world of integrative medicine, we call that the name it, blame it, tame it syndrome, where you, you give it a name, migraine, um, you blame it for the headaches, and then you tame it with a medication, as opposed to what we do with functional medicine, which we say, okay, so here's the symptom that we have at this far end. If you can not go back and find that root cause of that symptom, then we, we create a health care system, which we have done, that treats the final symptom but may not go back and actually address that root cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you hit the nail on the head, Beth. I, I followed. I was really fortunate after I finally got my diagnosis, and I can go in more detail in, in my story so people can know kind of the devastating effect that undiagnosed celiac disease can have. I actually had a, a full-term stillbirth. I had three miscarriages. Oh. And um, my youngest daughter was born when she was two pounds. And from my head to my toe, um, my hair was starting to fall out. Um, I had um, my uh, teeth were actually brittle and my gums were were terrible. And luckily, and this is actually how I got to be here today on the program, I had an incredible dentist and his name was Dr. Chip Rocco. And Dr. Rocco, um, he saw all that I was going through, and he said to me, you know what, else? it's not in your head. Because at this point in time, many of the doctors were saying, you know, you, it's all in your head, or you have postpartum depression. And oh. he said he thought there was something systemically wrong with me. And that continued me on my, my journey. And those dots were not connected. You know, just think about having a full-term stillborn and then a two-pound baby and your OBGYN wanting to tie your tubes because they oh. think that um, they don't know what to do with you. And I was actually on bed rest for three months, um, told not to move my any of my extremities um, in order to have um, have a child. And I'm, I'm very fortunate because that, that little two-pound baby is now a, a 22-year-old, um, a five-foot-seven uh, healthy young lady who's just got a job with IBM. So I'm very... Oh, wow. And beauty. And <laughs> she is a five foot seven beautiful young woman. 
And, um, and, and it does, you know, and what happens is many times because this journey is so long, people end up with other autoimmune diseases. So they'll end up with, with diseases like thyroid disease. But in, and when you're talking about the field of functional medicine, um, along my journey, I went to so many doctors and I ended up working with a, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Bland. And I don't know if you know who he is, but he's been instrumental in the field of, of functional medicine. And um, I learned a lot about um, how to be my best self, you know, through really empowering um, myself to be healthy and to um, and to educate other women how to advocate and how they can talk to their um, provider and not to be nervous about asking their doctors questions. Oh, yeah. I, I hope I hope that our listeners are actually hearing this message, Susan, because this is it's if, if you can learn anything from this, you don't have to have celiac to get the message that if there's something going on with your health and you don't have the answers and you just continue to get um, opportunities to take different medications, um, you really need to figure out what is going on. Um, from a root cause because otherwise you're never, ever going to get to that source. Well, and I think, you know, with all the education and awareness and, and, you know, the work that you're doing and the work that Alice is doing, fortunately today I think it we are empowering not just women, men as well, to advocate for themselves and speak up and ask questions, where I think years ago we were content as patients to just do whatever the doctor said when our, you know, our voice inside our head was saying, something's wrong, I just know it, you know, that inner voice. We didn't really question doctors. Uh, but today, I think there's so many alternatives and, and, you know, the education and awareness is there that helps us be stronger in that pursuit of determining, you know, the issues that we're having. Um, I think we should, you know, start to learn. I think it's really important to hear the full story of Alice's journey. And uh, and quickly for the listeners, I want to make sure that if you are listening and you want to call in with a question, um, please do. It would be a great opportunity to speak to, to either Beth or Alice. Uh, the direct not line is 610-664-4100. And, you know, Alice's story starts at the beginning, as does everyone's, and and you grew up, Alice, I understand, in Wayside, New Jersey, one of five children. That's correct. Five children, and you were, as people describe you, not only a woman of action, but back then you were a young girl of action. I've read some great stories about problems you saw in your own community and you making a decision to try to do something about it. Um, I wonder if you can give that quick story about the lake that you decided needed to be cleaned up and so you just brought, you know, put a group together to do it. Uh, you really read my background. I'm very yeah. impressed. Yes, so. I do. <laughs> yeah, so when I was in high school, I'm, I guess I've always been an advocate at, at heart and a problem solver. So if you mm-hmm. see a problem, you're going to come up with a solution. And um, there was a lake. It was called Deal Lake. And um, we noticed there's a lot of trash in the lake and that the duck population was dying. So I put a group together and we cleaned up the lake and um, it was great. We did a whole day where, you know, and it became an annual event. And then I got an award from the township. Um, I didn't even know there was they were going to give me a, uh, the community service award. And it probably helped me to, you know, enter into the University of Pennsylvania because of my advocacy work yeah. that I did in high school. Alice, 
I love it because when I was in fifth grade, we had a group called KTA, Kids Taking Action. We did the same thing in York, Pennsylvania. We went around to the parks, and um, we got a, we got a lot of uh, local publicity because we took it upon ourselves to clean up our environment. You know, I didn't realize how far ahead of the curve we were at the time, but uh, I don't think I still have my T-shirt, but I still have all my friends that were part of it, you know, 30, 40 years later. Um, but it's it's such an amazing thing to take on um, something from your heart and then turn around and they re- you get recognized for it because so many times we do things, but to actually have your, or your you know, township um, give you the community service award just shows how much they appreciate the work that you did. Well, thank you. Another something else that we have in common here. We, yeah. we seem to be have, have this walking in these worlds where we're, you know, the the patient advocate and the the doctor advocate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. It's so true, and it speaks to again, you know, the the type of women that you both are. Are, 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 we need more people like that. You know, there's something, there's an issue, there's a problem, and you're the kind of women that say, "I'm going to do something about it." You know, rather than just kind of complain or talk about it or, or, or be sad. You know, let let's take action. Um, Beth, and you know too. I, you know, we both studied Alice's background and know a lot about her story. And one of the things, um, Alice, for for the listeners, she uh, graduated from University of Penn with a major in biology, and that was a pivotal point for you in your life. You lost your mom uh, to pancreatic cancer, and um, I wonder if you can speak for a few minutes about the fact that you think there may be a, a tie in there between the celiac that you uh, were diagnosed with and what happened to your mom. Sure. So um, I did attend the University of Pennsylvania and was headed to medical school. Um, and in my third year at Penn, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And, you know, if you know anything about pancreatic cancer, you, you, there's really no hope, and especially, you know, 30 years ago. So she died in uh, about six months, and I ended up deciding instead of going to medical school, I I took a job with a company called uh, Shared Medical Systems, which became SMS, which became Siemens, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, started my career in sales and marketing um, and uh, working in, in nur- nursing stations. But I had spent so many years working in the hospital that I knew knew my way around the hospital. So I was always interested in improving health improvement. And um, my mom, having had pancreatic cancer, um, it just lingered in my head, you know, what, what is, you know, you know, when I was finally diagnosed uh, by Dr. 23 with celiac disease, who happened to have been um, a vet, veterinarian, and yes, that, I'm talking about the family veterinarian, <laughs> yeah. made that recommendation. Um, it just lingered in the back of my head, did my mom have undiagnosed celiac disease? And I'll never know that she actually had undiagnosed celiac disease, but according to the New England Journal of Medicine um, and published reports, um, what happens if you are either uncontrolled celiac, have uncontrolled celiac disease or undiagnosed celiac disease, that leads to inflammation, and inflammation leads to things like cancer, Mm -hmm. and especially thyroid cancer, lymphoma, pancreatic cancer, the GI cancers. They're even finding now that it's leading to some neurologic problems and some hearing loss. Um, They're looking at uh, ischemia, so some heart problems as well, because there is this generalized inflammation in the body. So uh, the sooner you can get the proper diagnosis, and that's why I tell people don't just start on a gluten-free diet. 
It's really important that you get that diagnosis Mm -hmm. and that you ask your doctor for the blood test and get the diagnosis because one drop of gluten, if you have celiac disease, will set off that autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. And you can't, it's just like you can't be a little bit pregnant, you can't be a little bit, you know, a little bit celiac or a little bit gluten intolerant. You, if you have the full autoimmune disease, celiac disease, you can't have any cross contact, which means if you order a salad um, and somebody pulls the croutons off that salad, those particles that are left on that salad will trigger the autoimmune reaction. And yeah, that can, there, there, there are a lot of people that have a sensitivity, which means they can eat it, but it doesn't set off the autoimmune. They don't actually have the genetic predisposition called celiac. So um, when you, you know, and that's that's something that I think can be very confusing um, because sometimes people say, oh, well, I'm, my celiac's not that bad. I'm like, well, you either are or you aren't. You can have a gluten sensitivity um, without being celiac, but you can't be celiac and go around and choose when and when you can and can't eat gluten. And that that's a great point. And on our website at celiaccentral.org, we have a whole um, part of the website that's dedicated to, you know, what do you do, you know, if you think you have celiac disease and we tell you to continue on your gluten-free on your gluten-containing diet. So continue on that gluten-containing diet go to the doctor and then what what'll happen is they'll order the they'll order the panel so the the blood test and if it comes back negative then then you're going to be looking into what else could be wrong so it could be gluten sensitivity so we're thinking about 6% of the population has a gluten sensitivity and some people actually have a wheat allergy too mm-hmm. so um it you know in many cases, there there are a number of reasons why people are on a gluten-free diet, and even some other people with other autoimmune diseases are telling us that it helps with their inflammation. Um, some of the the Crohn's and colitis sufferers as well. So we need more research into understanding, you know, what is going on, as we talked about earlier, what's happening in the environment. We don't process wheat like, like our ancestors did. So there's a lot that we're doing to our body. You know, if we think about the food that we're eating, it's very different than the food of our ancestors. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Go ahead, Beth. The, uh, no, what, what I was going to say was... Um, that the there are a lot of people who choose not to eat gluten because they actually can tell the difference be, in their bodies between because it's the inflammation that a lot of times causes um, the GI upset as well or the systemic symptoms and I know that if I I was gluten free for three weeks just very recently and I did notice a difference in and the it's the inflammation so. Um, when we when we think of food is medicine, and a lot of people don't realize that, and I've gotten a lot of grief from some of my oncologists who say, well, how do you say food is medicine? I say, well, it is, because if we can avoid certain things and feel better, um, then we're actually feeding our body basically what is making us feel good as opposed to eating something that can make you feel bad. And I, you know, a, a lot of times it's a um, it's the inflammation that's the issue, and it's not just... The fact that it's it's gluten because there are a lot of foods that can cause inflammation. It's just that wheat and gluten, you know, is one of the big culprits. 
Well, um, and I have to say that when uh, I started the, the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness, there wasn't a lot of awareness of celiac disease and, you know, gluten-free products. And we, I was fortunate. I was very persistent. So I think all the women is, we're talking to here today are persistent as well. And um, I received a grant from the NIH, the National Institute of Health, to raise awareness of celiac disease. But when I went to get a grant from the Department of Health and Human Services, what they said was, well, how are you going to try to raise awareness um, of a disease where there isn't access to food? So uh, 21 years ago, I actually got my food, um, I ordered it through a support group or from Canada, if you're going to get gluten-free products. And um, just a loaf of bread was about $9 a pound. So, you know, you chose not to eat, you know, any bread anyway, because it just was prohibitively expensive. So we really launched this awareness campaign to make sure that gluten-free products were available and affordable and um, were able to work from, you know, stores such as Whole Foods to stores such as Walmart. And working with Walmart, you know, people can say whatever they want, and they'll say, what, you worked with Walmart? And Walmart Walmart added distribution across the United States because there's so many um, communities that don't have other stores, and it made gluten-free product mainstream so that people could have access to affordable gluten-free products. And that was really critical to the development of... Um, you know, our kind of the journey and the path that we took at the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness. At the same time, you know, just with, with you know, it became a trend, too. So mm-hmm. there's many people that um, are on a gluten-free diet thinking that they will lose weight. And I have to caution, pe- caution people that if they read the labels and they see that the gluten-free products might be higher in calories and might be um, higher in, in, in salt and sugar, that um, they may not be healthier and they may not lose weight. And we always tell them, you know, to eat the peri- perimeter of the super, the food around the perimeter oh, of the yeah. supermarket. Uh, those products are naturally gluten-free. Yeah, that's a great tip. You know what? We're going to we have to take a quick break, um, and we will be back with Alice Bass. President and CEO of the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness. We'll be right back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography, an automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Are you looking for something special to wear to an event, on a date, or out with the girls? Nevada is a Philadelphia-based luxury label designed for the effortlessly chic global nomad. Our ready-to-wear and custom pieces, which include bridal wear, by the way, are inspired by artistry and travel. The line is intriguing and exotic. After all, fashion should create a sense of escape. So go ahead, escape with Nevada, and make a timeless impression. Please visit us online at nevadacouture.com. 
Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and we have a wonderful guest with us in the studio today. Her name is Alice Bast, and Alice is the president and CEO and also founder, I want to say founder, of the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness. And we have Dr. Beth Dupree on the phone with us from Holy Redeemer Hospital. And we're talking all about, you know, celiac and, and what uh, what the struggles are with the disease and one of the things i want to make sure we talk about alice is really what what those 10 years were like for you what before you were diagnosed what were you feeling what were you going through what were your symptoms and um and how did you manage that and that was i guess back in uh between 1987 and 97 is that right that's correct um well you know as you can imagine Going from doctor to doctor, as we talked about earlier, um, whatever the whatever the symptom was, I was treated for that symptom. But I really thought I was dying. You know, my mom had died young of of pancreatic cancer, and I thought I had cancer because you know here I was um, with you know we have something on our website called the symptom checklist. Again, mm-hmm. it's celiaccentral.org. So um, I created the symptom checklist because. The symptoms don't seem to tie together because it's a multi-system disorder. So I um, always had to know where the next bathroom was. I had terrible, terrible diarrhea. Um, I had um, fatigue. I had um, peripheral neuropathy, which is tingling in your fingers and toes. I had joint pain. Um, I, you know, and I had lost 25 pounds. So when I was finally diagnosed with celiac disease, um, I was down to almost 100 pounds so it was not it was not a a, not a a pretty journey plus you know just think about nutrition was not feeding my body just as the nutrition was not feeding my baby Mm -hmm. so having had that full-term stillborn child it was something called intrauterine growth retardation which means my body was um you know the, the the my body was protecting itself you know and cut the the placenta stopped feeding the baby so we lost because the I was in such dire straits basically yeah, right and um, so having that stillbirth was emotionally you know as you can imagine just horrendous you mm-hmm. know and and we named her Emily and she was almost seven pounds when she was born oh God and um, I went on you know and the doctor said well it, you know we don't know what's you know you can it's just a fluke so you can try to get pregnant again and again the symptoms got treated so here I am with all this chronic diarrhea and I'm treated with, you know, uh, go take some, you know, Pepto-Bismol, right. take Imodium, right. take, you know, whatever over the counter. And so I kept masking what was going on. And when I got pregnant again um, in my uh, second trimester, I, I, stopped, I stopped growing. You know, the baby stopped growing. And that's when they put me on bed rest. You know, the OBGYN put me on bed rest. And they did an emergency C-section um, when I could feel hardly any movement at all. So it was it was very trying time in mm. my life, you know, yes. thinking about my mom dying of cancer. Right. Thinking about, you know, whether I was going to be able to have, you know, a baby that was well. And also knowing that I had an older daughter who, um, you know, was come home every day from school, hop on the bed and, you know, and, and you know, say, talk to me and, 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 and. And wanted to make sure that I made her life as, as normal as possible as well. Yeah. So when I did get that final diagnosis, I was really relieved. I, I mean, bet. I 
you know, going again to Chip Rocco and Dr. Rocco saying, you know what, something systemically, systemically is wrong with you. I still thought I had cancer and I kept, you know, I didn't know what it was until the, my friend who was a veterinarian said, you know, sometimes animals can have trouble with the dog food. They can have trouble with the wheat in their dog food. And she looked it up and she said, ask your doctor to test you for something called celiac disease. Wow. And that's what happened. I went to Dr. 23, the gastroenterologist, and um, was diagnosed with celiac disease. But when he diagnosed me, he said, the good news is we know what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Um, The bad news is you're not going to be able to eat anything. And I said, what? You know, tell me what I can't eat. He said, well, you can't eat gluten and it's in everything. Right. So he didn't present it in in a positive manner, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure that, you know, that wouldn't happen in, in Beth's case because she would say, you know what? You go on a gluten-free diet, and then, you know, that's where some of the materials came from our, on our website, that we have a getting started guide and things to make it make life easy so that you can navigate the gluten-free diet, but also that you have the tools to, you know, empower yourself to ask for a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, we learned from all of our experiences, and then we did a lot of market research as well to reach out to a community nationwide. We have about 2.5 million people unique visitors to our website. Yeah. So we have a, a- wide Alice, audience. Is your house gluten-free? My house is gluten-free, except for there is one loaf of bread that sits in the corner, and that it has its own. It, it has its own little. Uh, it has its own little home, but the entire refrigerator and everything else in our house is uh, 100% gluten-free. My kids do not have celiac disease. Uh, that was my next question. If if you had them tested, so I did. Um, I had you know a, a, the test. The first step is a blood test. Mm-hmm. So there, it's an antibody test. And when your antibodies come back positive, then the, um, the the doctor will go in, and it's a gastroenterologist, will go in and do something called an endoscopy, and they'll look at the villi. And the villi are, you know, in your, your intestine, and they'll see if some of the villi are flattened. And if they're flattened, then they'll, they'll diagnose you with celiac disease. But as we talked about earlier, you you have the genetic marker. So 30 to 40 percent of the population has the gene. One of my daughters has the gene; the other does not. Okay. So one of my questions is, if you have, uh, if you're on the spectrum and you have an intolerance, you know, to wheat, um, can it develop into celiac? Have, has there, have there been cases of that? Well, that's a great question. Um, it's if you're on, it's there. There's different. They look at people that may have they have the gene for celiac disease, and there's a period of time where they may not be picking up, you know, the antibodies, and that um, something in your life does trigger the active autoimmune disease. So, um, and then you know you could get tested, and then two years later, and it's negative. And then two years later, it's positive. Mm. And that's really critical. And that's one of the reasons we held this research summit. And we work actually internationally with um, with physicians and medical specialists in the Scandinavian and European countries because they're looking at how do you prevent celiac disease. So how do you cure celiac disease? How do you prevent celiac disease? And what takes you from that intolerance to tolerance? And why is it that people have such varying symptoms? Right. So somebody yes. like myself, you know, I, from head to toe, you know, my hair is falling out, my teeth are breaking, I have diary, I lose 25 pounds, I have reproductive health problems, I have peripheral neuropathy, you know, have, you know, every skin problems, you yeah. know, you name it, I had it. Yeah. Where some people might just have anemia 
or they, ha- you know, and they may say they don't have any symptoms at all. And it's really important to know that about 50% of the people with celiac disease will say they're, they don't have any symptoms. And they didn't even know. So we launched this year a, a program called Family Talk to um, ensure that all family members are uh, properly tested for celiac disease because it's critical, because it is genetic, that family members do get the proper the proper test, and they may not have any, they may not have symptoms. Or like I was just in California, and someone told me that when her one daughter had celiac disease. And then they had spoken with the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness. They had the other daughter tested. They didn't think she had symptoms, but it turns out, in retrospect, she did, because she was only in the 50th percentile for growth, and her dad's six foot two, and her mom's six foot, mm-hmm. and so that just was not quite right. Yeah, yeah, but that wasn't alarming enough to have them go and test her. It, it's so interesting to me because it seems that, it, and and let me ask you both this: Does it? Would you say that it all comes down to an inflammatory issue, and that is the reason why there's so many varying symptoms? And and this inflammatory issue is found in all of these other diseases. So if we can get to, you know, gosh, if we really can put um, some focus and money towards the uh, research of celiac, we may be unlocking, you know, information about so many other diseases. Well, Beth can answer that. That's my hope. You know, that's part of the summit that we held. Um, and we held it, it was in April 16th and 17th in Washington, D.C. Um, we brought in the NIH and we brought in this interdisciplinary approach, you know, medical practitioners. And we brought in patients, believe it or not. So not only did we bring in scientists, mm-hmm. clinicians, we brought in nutritionists. And we brought patients in because we wanted the patients to tell their stories because it's just like I'm telling my story. It's so important for us to collect all the data, and that's what's missing in the field. Having a robust registry where you're looking at data and you start to see those intersections and saying, okay, how how is this disease similar? You know, what what is it that we don't know? Mm -hmm. What are the gaps? What's the natural history of the disease? And understanding the burden, both the, you know, the economic burden and then the disease burden. Itself, so we have a lot of work ahead of us, but we're excited to um, to really make sure that um, that the patients of the future don't have to suffer what we've had to suffer. Yeah, Beth, what's your take on that? Is you know, as a surgeon and, and a breast surgeon and and someone who deals with breast cancer, um, what's your take on that? Okay, so inflammation um, can be is when you can look at it in everything, in cancer, in celiac, in cardiac disease, you know, in in how we create plaques inside our blood vessels. And inflammation is actually our body, it's trying to protect us, but sometimes in that protective response to something foreign or something that um, elicits that response, we get changes in our in our cell mediators. And so inflammation um, can cause cell injury and, and necrotic cells and cell damage. Um, for instance, I, I have a patient who didn't realize it, but all of her, she had all these joint aches and they, she was diagnosed as having a form of arthritis. And um, when I sent her to our integrative nutrition practitioner, you know, she had a diet that was very high in dairy. And dairy is one of the things that can also be pro-inflammatory and um, has also been shown that people who, you know, eliminating the dairy was able to alleviate all of her 
um, joint symptoms because it was the inflammation. It wasn't the dairy that was the badness. It was the response to the dairy that her body was creating. And I don't want people to go stop taking dairy if, you're, if your knees are bad. But what I'm saying is that they were able to, by looking at an elimination diet and by getting rid of certain things, it's um, our body's response to, like, our cell mediators, they're, they're, they're doing the job that they were put there to do, but sometimes it's that inflammation um, that gets expressed in multiple different ways. So I do believe that there, there's a lot of interconnectedness here, and it's figuring out how that inflammatory response gets set off and how we can mediate or moderate that so that uh, we can unwind the disease process. And, you know, I think when we talked about this a few weeks, a few weeks ago, we talked about, you know, um, breast cancer uh, diagnosis and the, the, the main causes of breast cancer. And one of our biggest risk factors for breast cancer is obesity, which is, you know, because we our, our bodies are utilizing the fat cells that we have to create and produce more um, estrogen, and that in turn stimulates those cells. So um, I think we have to kind of look holistically at, at you know, our health and well-being overall and start to focus back on how do we remain well as opposed to how do we treat disease because it's, the, it's when you get into that disease process that inflammation can rear its head in cardiac disease, in diabetes, in celiac, in cancer. And so the, answer is, the short answer is yes, inflammation is involved with all of this, but it may be different mediators with that, each different disease. Yeah. Yeah. Did that I, make sense, I it, hope? I hope it, did, it does to oh, me. It, it was does, beautiful. Thanks, Yeah, Beth. it does to me. And I think it, it really it just speaks to, you know, preventative is, is, you know, should always be thought of first. You know, hopefully if you are if you are well and you're taking care of yourself, you might be avoiding some of these uh, diseases. And, and we don't know that for sure, but it, it sur- sure makes sense to me. Well, just like Beth said, you know, food is our medicine. And, and celiac disease is the, the disease that just, you know, basically it was... A, a change in diet, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's important, you know, we launched um, several years ago, three years ago, a, a continuing medical education program, a CME program that was online to make sure that doctors understood the signs and, and symptoms of, of celiac disease, but they also had the accurate accurate information and they understood, you know, what to, to how to guide their, their patients because Five years ago, there actually wasn't, the FDA didn't even have food labeling, for, for example. Yeah. So um, you would go into a store, and if a product was labeled gluten-free, you really didn't, it wasn't regulated. So you didn't know, in fact, if it was gluten-free or, or not. Mm-hmm. Now we do have um, labeling of gluten-free foods, so it's been regulated. And but, whole sections, and right? There's whole sections, whole sections of the supermarket that are gluten-free. Yeah, right. But what we're looking at right now, we have a grant from the FDA to study gluten and medications and um, understand in, in, for example, if you take a prescription medication, what's in your binder, what's in your excipient to understand how much gluten is in there and, um, and is that going to change practices? So if somebody is on some kind of medication and they think they might have gluten in it, are they not going to take their medication because they're afraid that it has gluten in it? So really understanding, um, you know, not only the, the, the real science behind whether the, the medication itself has gluten and what are those, what are the, the consequences so that, you know, to understand regulations, but then how, how are people, what are they viewing? You know, what are they, does that change their behavior? And then we also have to be concerned about eating out. And that's probably uh, one of the biggest, the hardest, the hardest 
um, challenges, I would say, for our community. Mm-hmm. So whether it's sending your child off to school, oh, um, yeah, you just you know they want to be like the other kids, mm-hmm. and um, they sometimes there's bullying, sometimes they they just want to fit in. And you're the kid that comes to school, you know, who um, not only has to eat gluten-free, but you can't, you have to, you know, stand there and say, well, are those French fries cooked in oil that can cook wheat, you know, that you've cooked wheat-containing ingredients in? So um, onion rings, for example. So they have to really become advocates for themselves. And, and that not, is not always so easy. No, it's so not. So we end up with um, feelings of frustration, isolation, and people really being overwhelmed with the gluten-free diet because they, you know, navigating it is, is not easy. And it's important that they understand the science and they understand, um, you know, what products they can have and what products they can have. And that the, the physician has the, the proper tools and then can refer the patient to a, a nutritionist. Because as we talked about, food is medicine. It's important to understand that this is an autoimmune disease. So guess what? You might have other vitamin uh, deficiencies. So you may have, you know, osteopenia, for example. So you have problems with your bones. Mm-hmm. Or you might have some other vitamin deficiencies where you need to be really looking at making sure that you're eating a very healthful diet and potentially some supplements to that diet. Well, and it's interesting to me, I wasn't aware that there would be um, gluten in medications. So that's a that's a great thing to know. And again, another opportunity to ask because doctors aren't going to necessarily, uh, you know, when they prescribe medication, often write it's, they write the script, they hand it to right. you, and, and you're out the door, and you don't know right. anything about it that you should. And we had uh, uh, we educated um, 1,300 pharmacists across the country. Um, again, it's an online training program for pharmacists because many times patients will go into the or somebody with uh, suffer with celiac disease will go into the pharmacist and then they'll ask the pharmacist about you know if there's gluten in medication. Or they'll, if the pharmacist is educated to start to see, you know, what's going on. These, this person is taking all these different medications. They can they can flag it in the system, mm-hmm. and they can really be an, a healthcare advocate for for the patient as well. So that you, it's really about a team approach. You know, you and and keeping yourself well, but being able to know that you can go to that pharmacist or you can go to the physician to help you on your wellness journey. Yeah, exactly. You know, I want to make sure that um, we take a few minutes because we don't have a whole lot of time, but I really want to talk about you and the work that you've done, Alice. I'm so impressed with, you know, the fact that you went through something really difficult and then decided to turn it around and, and make something positive and turn it into a light, you know, your life's work and help others. Um, for people in the Philadelphia area, Alice received the Philadelphia Award, which is a very prestigious award here in our city for people that are doing things that make a difference in the community. Um, you've just done such a tremendous amount of work. What does that mean to you as, as the founder of this organization? And what are, you know, what, what are some of your goals for, for the rest of 2015 and into early 2016 that you would like to see happen for the Celiac um, Foundation itself? So, um, it, thank you for that. Um, 
it's you know it's been gratifying because you in my personal journey i am a, a healer at heart so mm-hmm. you know i'm just doing it differently so i didn't get to go to me- i didn't go to medical school right um but i was able to follow my passion and then and not everybody can just say okay i'm going to start a nonprofit and i didn't do it just that way i actually went back to school at night at university of pennsylvania they have a degree in nonprofit executive oh, administration okay. so you really have to understand how to run a nonprofit that's right from the finance side and make sure that you you know you really um, you, you cross your T's and dot your I's yes. um, and then you know for for us at the National Foundation for celiac awareness for future um, it's important that you know we focused on awareness and we focused on access and, and affordability of gluten-free products and we've been very successful in those areas and that's why I got the Philadelphia award but in the future we actually did change our entire mission to uh, read that we want to advance the widespread understanding of celiac disease as a serious genetic autoimmune condition and work to secure early diagnosis and effective management. We want to be able to increase the number of researchers in the field so that the NI, there's more funding from the National Institute of Health to fund, um, you know, celiac disease. And, of course, um, we want to, you know, in the future, what we'd really like to be able to do in the next 10 years, actually, with, you know, with the proper funding in place is to cure celiac disease. So whether that's prevention or cure, we do feel strongly that um, it could be the disease that unlocks autoimmunity. And we're confident that we can empower the community to live life to the fullest, whatever that means to them. Mm-hmm. But we give them the tools and the resources to do that. And um, we do want to forge these pathways to a cure. And, and how difficult would you say is it to live with celiac disease in today's world? You know, for you, on your day-to-day, your diet, your, your shopping, your eating out, you know, how far have we come with that? Oh, we've come a long way. I mean, we have, um, it's, you know, that's what I remind people when they, they, when they're complaining and they're thinking about what they can't have. Mm-hmm. I said, focus on what you can have. Because 20 years ago, we didn't have, gluten-free food was not mainstream. But we have a long way to go. And that means, you know, we really need serious money for funding research, for making sure that we have fellowship programs in place. So some of the best and the brightest when they come out of medical school will be interested in a field of celiac disease. And um, if anybody who's listening um, has a family member with celiac disease, I recommend you uh, check out the Seriously Celiac Disease um, campaign. It's on our website. Yeah, tell Again, us about that. Again, celiaccentral.org. And it's really c- about communicating openly and honest, honestly, both with your health care com- provider, but also with your family members. And what we found was that people would have very casual conversations with their family members, and I'm the first one to do that. So I'd be at Thanksgiving and say, everybody, you need to get tested you know, for celiac disease. You're all in my family. Right. And that's not the way to do it. They said it's important. We did a lot of market research. We actually spent eight months working in market research to understand what are the messages. How do you, you know, how do you talk to your family members? How do you tell them the risks? How do you tell them that, you know, undiagnosed celiac disease does lead to things like, you know, lymphoma and cancer? And then and then request they get tested. Really give them the tools. So give them the symptom checklist and say, you know, next time you go to the doctor, Get get the blood test. The first set, the first test to getting a diagnosis is a simple blood test. Yeah, it's how do you get people to take it seriously, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's not cancer, so people don't, they don't really understand the seriousness nature of it. But if we're going to keep people well, as we talked about, we're keeping them well. 
then they need to take it seriously so they don't end up with the long-term health consequences and they can stay well. Yeah. Well, and I can say, you know, we're, this is radio, so people cannot see Alice, but I'm looking at her. And you really are the epitome of health. I mean, you just look 100%. You know, your, your skin is beautiful. And, and I know how active you are as well. Your lifestyle is not just about your diet. You know, you t- play tennis, you run, you know, you're extremely active and, and um, you know, love the outdoors. That's such a big part of it as well, right? There has to be a balance of all these things in our life. You can't just be focusing on the food, or you certainly can't just be exercising and not eating the things that are right for you. Yeah, and it's um, you're you're so right, you know. But when I was before I was diagnosed, so 23 years ago, I couldn't do these things. I couldn't run. I you know went from bathroom to bathroom. I was sick all the time, and to it's such. You know, I, I say give the gift of health. You know, it's such a gift. And, and take that that gift responsibly mm-hmm. and try to eat well. So if you have those choices, you know, p- pick the healthier food. Yeah. And, um, and make sure that you can, you know, if you see, if you can walk a staircase, take the staircase, you yeah. know. Those simple changes can really, you know, make for, for better outcomes, whether you have celiac disease or not. Yeah. And um, it's nice to try to embody, you know, practice what you preach. And we do that in our office as well. We actually have them, um, people bring in f- food from their garden. So we mm. we really believe in eating as naturally as we possibly can. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's great. Um, that's all the time we have today. Beth, did you want to say one last thing to Alice? Because we have a minute. Yeah. Just the, there's a chi- the Chinese symbol for crisis and opportunity. They share a symbol in common, and you took your crisis and turned it into an opportunity to educate the masses. And I think that our world is much better having you had this uh, disease, unfortunately, because you have raised the bar and educated so many with so much information. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alice, for being here. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.